Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today I'm here with Andre Simone, and I'm pretty excited about that because we haven't gotten a chance to just talk without other people for like two weeks. <laughs> it's true, and uh, you left me. You left me for your hometown last I did. week. So uh, I did. Kind of feel like a bride left at the altar, and I I come back, and you're off to bigger and better things on the golf course. You know, with your your big TV pals, and you've got you know PGA Tour pros or whatever their titles are, starting our new golf podcast, giving you advice and giving you props. And I'm just glad you still have my number and could reach out to to have me on the pod still. Wow, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think that that one clip of me getting scared by that fake snake just like disproves mm. your entire view of how i view you <laughs> when, when yeah fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. When, is when that Allie, out in the internet i i don't think people have seen it yet oh that's okay. coming good, though good, good, I'm, that'll yeah. that'll be out on the internet here soon i still have a copy of that which is too bad because i want to like show people like i talk about it sometimes so, like comes up like i got terrified on the golf course because i thought dre was there and i was in a good place <laughs> mentally oh <sighs> That's true. You all get to see that here soon. And I'm guessing that'll come from the DNVR golf account, which you should follow when uh, everything gets going. We made that announcement officially on the golf course yesterday, right before Vic and Moe's beat me and RK at golf again, which sucked. Yep. Yep. Golf like football game of inches, it turns out. Yep. It is. Maybe even more so than football. I honestly, that is kind of the football game of inches. Like, eh. I don't know. Well, I mean, that was definitely true in the old, you know, two yards in a cloud of dust or three yards in a cloud of dust days. Those, mm-hmm. It was a game of inches back then. I now, feel like, yeah, you're right. With the, with the spread and everything, it's not so much a game. of. It's like a game of possessions. It's like basketball. I think if, at some point during this quarantine when nobody had anything to talk about, but now sports are back, we should have had a segment where it's just ranking – all of the sports by which is the most a game of inches. Oh, wow. Like, like, we, like hockey, you know, like the way the goal works. Like, I think game of inches there may be even more applicable than. Football. Right. Well, you think of that BS offside call that the abs essentially got eliminated on in game seven. You could argue that's uh, more of a game of inches than anything. Uh, Broncos, Buffs, or Rams football have been put through um, in the last few years. Yeah. Well, and then we've been watching so much like UFC and stuff. How many yeah. of those punches are just like, whew, just barely <laughs> miss? You know, that, those, are, those are inches right there. That's totally true. That's 100% a game of inches. Yes, it that's is. right. It is. Yeah, yeah huh. that's right. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a dumb description now that I think about it, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, is football really the game of inches? Like, it is. I mean, there are a lot of situations where like, ah, oh, we came up inches short, but. <laughs> that's like me saying, like, <laughs> physics is a game of inches. It's like, yeah, it is, bro. Maybe, like, a, even smaller. Like, geometry is a game of inches. NASCAR is a game of inches. <laughs> like, yeah, we get it. Like, Pretty much everything a game is a of game inches. of inches. That's right. <laughs> like, like, especially, like, the combine. 
you know, the, the 40 yard dashes. I wonder, I wonder what an inch equates to. Like if somebody runs a four, four and somebody like on their video at the finish is like three inches behind them. Is that a four, four, two, or is that like a four, four, six, you know? Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. I don't think anybody's done that math because it's kind of a dumb thing to waste your time on, but that's what we're here for. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would argue it'd probably take not too long to figure that one out, but um, yeah. we'll leave that study for our, our new uh, math 101 podcast that we'll be <laughs> debuting soon. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the actual football talk today, when we'll be talking about the AFC East, and I mm. got that right this time, yes. uh, and also the edge rushers, which is kind of a fun group, especially in this class when, you know, there's Chase Young, but there's like some depth, but they're more like versatile type guys and not so much just your true pure edge rusher, go get the quarterback, your Vaughn Miller type. Um, totally. We'll dig into that later. First, we got to tell you more about DraftKings. Uh, we have been having so much fun with DraftKings, which is kind of dumb considering that there's only sports that we didn't really care about all that much, except for you, Dre. There's Spen Soccer. You're a soccer guy. Yeah, but that's true. For the rest of us, it's been learning to love new things. But tonight, the Rockies are back. The MLB came back yesterday. And then next Saturday, we'll all be at the DMVR bar because the Nuggets play yep. at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Ooh. Bottomless mimosas, the Nuggets. Mm. What could mm. be better? And then Sunday, you have the Avs. It's going to be so much fun. This next, like, I guess we have one more week where we only have one sport, but then after that, it's just pure chaos until October, really. But it's going to be the Rockies every day. I know. And then August starts, we get Champions League, too. On top of UFC continues, we mm -hmm. keep getting golf. Like, mm -hmm. oh, man, I am so ready for this, Hank. I'm I excited. am also so ready for this. And you know who else is ready for this? DraftKings Sportsbook. They are the place to go if you're into sports betting. Um, you know, it's the top-rated sportsbook app in mm -hmm. America. It's the official betting partner of DNVR. Yeah. So many sports coming back, and they're going to be so much more fun if you have money on the line. Because I, I, there's just so much good value everywhere. I was telling Dre before the podcast, I got the Rockies at plus 800 to make the playoffs earlier this week because I thought that that was good value. Then yesterday, the MLB said, actually, we're expanding the playoffs from 10 teams to 16. I still get to keep that bet because it is a legal sports book in the United States that has to follow real regulations. It isn't like one of those off-seas books that could have said, oh, well, the rules changed. We're pulling okay. that bet. Yep. So now I still have this bet. It's like $30 to win $270 because I just wanted something to like keep me engaged, you know, because that just makes sports more fun. They will keep honoring that because they are an above board company. Uh, they've been so great to us and they can be yeah. great to you too. If you download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code DNVR when you sign up for a limited time, all new users can get a sign up bonus up to a thousand dollars. That's code DNVR to get your sign up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older Colorado only bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match each up to $500 deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, time to talk NFL draft. 
Uh, and like yeah. I said earlier, AFC East today, meaning we start with the Miami Dolphins, who took Tua Tagovailoa in the first round. Uh, that that pick is just an A plus, right? Yeah, I've, it's probably an A. Um, where to a fall on my board? Yeah, third. It's a uh, it's an A just because it's um you know kind of where the the rubber met the road as far as value uh, lining up with the the risk that is there with Tua, not just because of this latest injury, but because of a history of uh, lower body injuries that have kind of limited him, and as an undersized quarterback who relies heavily on his mobility to really maximize his full potential as a quarterback, that's definitely a, a a risk that has to be taken into play. But to be able to set your franchise up for the future with a franchise signal caller like that, it's a, it's an A pick for sure. And, you know, the, the Dolphins kind of had the luxury of taking a little extra risk here because of the added draft capital they had. In fact, the AFC East still had four first-round picks in the division, but two teams didn't pick in the first round. The division had four first-rounders because the Dolphins themselves had three. So it's a, kind of a unique draft. They had a lot riding on this, and to start with Tua, you know, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, I think that that makes sense. Um, having seen the three picks that they made in the first round, do you think they went in the right direction? Yeah, a little underwhelming, right? Um I mean, not that I don't like any of the players they had, but, you know, it's the, old, it's the old discussion I always have where, you know, with all these picks, three first-rounders, two second-rounders, um, to come away with three guys in my top three tiers, five top 100 picks, you did what you were expected. You didn't really exceed expectations. If anything, you may be underwhelmed, especially with what they did in the second round. Austin Jackson, nice pick. Um, obviously, there were a lot of rumors that they were trying to move up um, twice into the first, into the top ten to get Tua and Andrew Thomas. Then Andrew Thomas went before um, they even picked that five. So that plan kind of fell apart. Um, they settle on Austin Jackson, who kind of started off hot, settled down a little, and then closed strongly. Um, and you know, super young. And there's some of the, you know, the what was it? The bone marrow stuff he donated to his sister and maybe wasn't always a hundred percent, especially cardio wise in that final season at USC. And you figure if his cardio and shape is better in a full off season, the, the sky's the limit for this guy who has all the natural tools. But that's kind of the theme throughout this draft is, yeah, I like what they did. They're gambling a bit on upside and fit here. And Noah, I, the Auburn corner who I like a lot, but you know, end of the third in front of guys like Jeff Gladney, a bit of a risk. Robert Hunt, the Louisiana offensive tackle who will be moved to guard, similar thing. Um, and boy, Raekwon Davis, I did not see going in the second round. I thought that was a bit of a reach. That, that frankly surprised me after a really underwhelming final season at Alabama. All right. Um, so having seen the picks that the Dolphins made, do you think that they can compete in the AFC East or do you think they're still too young or too talent depleted to make that jump? 
Well, I mean, it's really just going to come down to Tua and how ready is Tua going to be? Um, so, yeah. And given the injuries, given the, the odd offseason where there's not going to be as much on-field work, um, I think the Dolphins, who still have more draft picks coming and are obviously building for the long term with all these young players, uh, would be smart to kind of take it slow with Tua and take another year. But yeah, come 2021, maybe probably more 2022, I think this is a team that's really thinks they can start competing for division titles against the Bills and whatever's left of the Patriots. All right. Um, any other thoughts on the Dolphins before we move along to the Bills? You know, Go from Jets, the, move on to the Jets. Yes. From the third round on, um, Brandon Jones is a guy that, uh, started off the season nicely coming into the year, had a lot going on for him, um, and kind of got forgotten as Texas football fell off. But So the early third was a bit surprising at first. But rewatching his tape, boy, he had a monster game against LSU early in the year. If we remember, arguably Texas is the team that tested the LSU Tigers more than any of their other ranked opponents they faced last season. And Brandon Jones, the Texas safety, was a big reason for that. They also get Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver, two tweener pass rushers. But if used the right way and select sets, um, could, be, could be very nice. And, you know, that's the advantage of having all these picks. Then you can pick more kind of niche guys like Malcolm Perry, the Navy quarterback who will be used more as a return and wide receiver here and even taking a pick on a long snapper. It's so I think they got a little cute, but I think there's definitely more than enough to to build, you know, to to build more of a foundation for the long term here. So, you know, it was around the C C minus for me. Um like this group, but there are some gambles on upside here. All right. Uh heading over to the Jets now. Mm. Uh, they were the second AFC East team to make a pick in the draft, and that's when they took Makai Becton at number eleven overall. Uh, that was one of the positions, offensive tackle, that we really spent a lot of time talking about leading up to the draft. Yeah. Um, do you think that the Jets made the right move taking Becton there? So, like, just on paper, I don't know anything about the NFL. I'm just a draft analyst, and I'm just grading every draft class as is. I love the Becton pick because the, the upside's tremendous. Ninth overall, he was 11th on my board, given some of the, you know, raw rawness and off-field stuff that might be a smidge concerning the drug test or what have you. Um, but really, given the need, given the upside, given the age, given the the tools that are are going to translate and the size that just gives him a, a very high kind of floor to me too. And the fact they added four other top hundred prospects for me, um, two round one grades. I really thought this was a marvelous class with Becton and Denzel Mims. But that's if I didn't know about the Jets. If I didn't know what's going on with Adam Gase, what's going on with Jamal Adams. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in that kind of environment, a guy like Becton does concern me. Um, and in general, any draft class that's being built by – an architect who might not be there for long because all this stuff that's going on with Adam Gase 
I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if they can handle that market. I don't know if he can handle that locker room. So, so you're worried about the long-term future of these guys who in a year might be under a completely new scheme that doesn't really fit them. Um, so I, it's, it's sad, you know, a couple months after the draft that that's what's coloring this draft analysis and not just the fact that Mims was a first-round talent with incredible upside. I mean, as far as raw upside goes, Becton and Denzel Mims are all first team in the 2020 NFL draft, you know, mm -hmm. up there with guys like LaVisca and stuff like these guys could be absolute studs. Ashton Davis has some real holes in his game, but he's got mad upside. Jabari Zuniga, the Florida, the end. I've talked about how much I liked um, my conversation with him at the senior bowl. He's always been a guy who intrigues me for his inside outside pass rush versatility. He was a very solid player in the sec for many years. Um, Lemichael P. Ryan, you know, we talked about him with Jake in the running back show a couple weeks ago. Bryce Hall is one of the steals of the entire draft. So there's a lot to like here. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard to get over the fact that almost all the big names they drafted are on offense. And you wonder, like, with Gase gone, it, how much is that going to hinder uh, the development of guys like Becton Mims, Michael P. Ryan? James Morgan, the Florida international quarterback, and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, I want to jump back to Denzel Mims really mm. quickly. Yes. You know, he fell to the 27th pick Crazy. in the second round. You know, if, if he had fallen to 27 in the first round, I think <laughs> we probably would have said that that would be good value for that player. Oh, yeah. Why do you think he did slip that far? Yeah, uh, teams will get scared off by raw receivers who also have some drops. Um, that's just a, a scary proposition. And, and as you know, this was an insanely deep wide receiver class. And I think going in, we always said, one of these dudes is bound to fall. Like there, There's only so many guys who are going to go in the top 50. Someone's going to fall a bit and be a real steal. Well, it turned out to be Denzel Mims who has, yes, one of the, some of the highest upside of anyone in this draft, but also, also some real downside. Um, and for a team like the Jets, who just lost Robbie Anderson as their deep threat, at the very least, it, what's Mims' floor is basically being Robbie Anderson with massive more upside, with like Randy Moss-level upside. And I know that's a little crazy, maybe one of the three greatest wide receivers of all time, arguably one of the 25 greatest NFL players of all time. I'm not saying that's how good Mims will be. I'm just saying that's the kind of rare potential a guy with his size, his speed, his type of acrobatic, tough catch-making ability has. And again, on paper, I love this guy in this offense for Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. But yeah, um, you know, you worry about how long are those guys going to be around to mentor him. Okay, so we've, we've talked about this a little bit, um, but I kind of want to get into this offseason as a whole. You know, when, when you have a young quarterback who had the reputation that Sam Darnold had uh, coming into the league, you'd think that at this point, it should be all about building something around him. You talked about how with the uncertainty with Gase, maybe you're taking some risks uh, bringing in a, a, a tackle and a receiver in these first two rounds. But do you think that the Jets did a good job giving Sam Darnold a chance to succeed over the course of this offseason? 
Yeah, I'm shaking my head a little, right? Because yeah. <laughs> um, they invested a lot in the offensive line. Did they invest wisely or did they just invest in bunches? You know, we'll see if guys like Connor McGovern, um, Alex Lewis, who they signed from the Ravens. Uh, George you know, Fant. Yeah, right. Like an NFL veteran with a big upside, but he'd already been in the NFL and is still super raw. So, I mean, lots of gambles there that they probably overpaid. And, you know, at face value, you look at that and you say, hey, it's great they're paying and investing in the O-line. Not a lot of guys really guarantee, though, that they'll plug up those holes. So, so we'll see. And, boy, this wide receiver crop is raw as can be. Brashard Perryman, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson. I mean, all guys who, yeah, have nice traits, but have yet to really prove anything. I mean... Christopher Herndon is their best tight end. Le'Veon Bell, another guy who's had issues with their head coach. And Frank Gore are their running backs. It's a big, big, big uh, question mark across the board on that offense. So I guess my answer would be no. No, I think this is a team that should have targeted more veteran players um, and not Frank Gore at positions other than running back. Yep. Um, and, you know, this is a team that I would, I would have overpaid for an Emmanuel Sanders real quick. Mm, yeah. I, I, I like that. You know, Jason Witten was out there and the Raiders got him despite having Darren Waller. That's a guy I would have tried to sell hard on, Hey, come here and be Sam Darnold's safety blanket. You know, this, this is a team that, yeah. They're gambling a lot on upside, and I'm not sure they have a clear vision here. All right. Uh, I believe the Bills pick next? No, the Patriots. Uh, that's right, because I said that before, too. So <laughs> neither team had a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. The Bills swapped first-rounders earlier in the process by uh, acquiring Stefan Diggs. Big trade, a bit of a win-now type of move for the Bills, who uh, have been a bit of a darling. While the Patriots on draft day... And I think especially with Jordan Love going a a bit earlier than expected. Or no, Jordan Love would have been still available at this point, I I believe. Um, But anyways, they trade down with the Chargers at 24, um, or at 23 rather. Jordan Love was in fact still on the board. Um, Guys like Patrick Queen and some some real studs still around, but they trade down very Patriots-like and... um, you know, acquire some more day two picks from the Chargers and made their first pick in Kyle Duggar, a guy I know you like very much from the Division Two ranks out of Lenore Rhine. Yeah, he is a guy I really like. And, and specifically because he's the type of player that I really like. You know, that hybrid safety mm-hmm. linebacker type who mm-hmm. I, I almost see as like your problem fixer. On, on defense, you know, like it's like the Chiefs with Tyron Matthew. It's like you're getting beat this way, put Tyron Matthew there, it'll probably get cleaned up. If you're getting beat because they're running the ball over you, move him up in the box. If you're getting beat because the tight end is picking you apart, then put him on him. And Kyle Duggar maybe doesn't have quite that versatility, or at least you have to see it pan out at, at a higher level than seeing him dominate right. the division the coverage two. versatility isn't exactly Tyron Matthew yeah but the still a versatile the, box, the, the, the physicality yeah. I think that that does translate it's just whether the athleticism translates in a way that he can cover um, but yeah I, I think that 
putting him in that defense, they're going to find ways to put him in good positions. You know, that's something that the Patriots have always been good at. And uh, I don't know. I think that if you're a defensive player, getting drafted by the Patriots has to feel like pretty close to a best-case scenario. Totally. Well, now, this is surprising, A, to see him go ahead of Jeremy Chin. Yeah. I know as far as small school versatile safeties, I think we were all a little higher on Chin. Yep. And was he, you know, he goes one pick after Xavier McKinney, the Alabama versatile DB. Mm-hmm. Was he worth going this much higher than guys like Ashton Davis, Terrell Burgess, uh, Kayvon Wallace, Julian Blackman? I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate mm-hmm. here, but, you know, I, I think those are all interesting questions. And more than anything, was he worth taking ahead of an offensive prospect, which that's really where they needed more help, you know? Um, and the Patriots, man, they loaded up on defensive talent. Um, you know, it was Duggar and then Josh Uche, another kind of versatile front seven piece, the Michigan edge rusher who blew up the senior bowl um and you could argue never quite lived up to his potential at michigan where maybe he wasn't used the right way uh, famously the guy who i always pointed out jedrick wills really struggled against in the final bowl game then they go with amferty jennings another versatile ish edge rusher in a three four but much different from uche much more length uh, probably could play with his hand in the ground and then they close out um, the second day by doubling up on tight ends and not exactly tight ends who we expected to go in the top 100 and Devin Asiasi and local product Dalton Keene. So it was an odd draft early on, and I'm not sure. Um, they went off the reservation with all but one pick in day three, too. So it was kind of typical Patriots doing what they do. Um, three guys in my top 100 despite having five picks on day two. Um, So obviously it was below the C, below kind of their minimum requirement for me. It's a D draft. It's one of the worst drafts on paper for me. Um, And and we'll see if that proves out to be right or not. But similar to the Seahawks, maybe getting a little too cute and fitting guys to your scheme instead of taking advantage of the value on on the board. Yeah, this is a tough one for me to grade. because I just have this faith in the Patriots to be smarter than I am, which is rare for most of these teams. But like if if somebody else had taken Devin Asiasi right there, I would be like, I'm not, I'm not sure I like the pick, but then you see the Patriots taking him there and you know that he's a good athlete and you Mm -hmm. know that he has a lot of those sorts of tools that may translate. And, and so much of tight ends, I feel like is almost just unpredictable. Like it isn't necessarily always the monster guys. Very fit based. Yeah, very fit based. I like that, and and just having a good feel for getting open in a way that you need more than you might need as a receiver. You know that you can see the footwork, you can see the cuts, you can see him getting Mm -hmm. in and out of routes. Whereas tight end is all about feel in a lot of ways. But I don't know for them to make that pick. I see it as, huh. I might scoop him up in my fantasy league because in a dynasty league, I trust the Patriots. And, and that's what makes yeah, oh, it so yeah. hard for me to ever give the Patriots oh, yeah. a bad grade. But I'd agree with you on paper, which of these guys do you see and say, Ooh, great pick, great pick, great value right there. Yeah. Uche would be my one guy. Yeah. Uche is my one guy. Everyone else. It's like, meh. Okay. 
Okay. I'm intrigued to see how you'll use them, but okay. Yeah. We'll see. And I think with Uche in particular, you know, it's another one of those kind of versatile guys where it is like he's an edge rusher, but then you can put him at linebacker. And those are the type of guys that you've seen have so much success with the Patriots, you know, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, those sorts of linebackers, they Mm -hmm. know how to put them in the best situation. And I think that Kyle Duggar fits right into that category, although a little bit less of a pass rusher, but I do think that he's going to be playing quite a bit of linebacker. Right. Yeah. Um, Duggar will kind of be their replacement for, um, oh gosh, the Oregon safety they've had forever. I'll find him in a sec. mm. But Uche, yeah. Rob Nankovich is another guy. Mike Vrabel, going back to the Vrabel Brewski. They're very much, we talk about this all the time with receivers and offenses, manufacturing touches, manufacturing Mm -hmm. open space and opportunities. The Patriots are very much a manufacturing pressure type of team. They're not a, we draft two first round edge rushers and we're going to dominate one-on-ones like the Broncos there. We're going to manufacture with fancy exotic fronts and what have you. We'll manufacture pass rush and Josh Uche is a great fit for that um, in that sense. So yeah, there there are fits that'll look nice, but again, I I think they could have maximized this a little better. Um, Patrick Chung's who I'm thinking of. I think Duggar could be a more versatile version of Patrick Chung, which, you know, Chung's been a key part of that defense for a while. So that's not saying nothing, but yeah. Yep. That's good. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums up the Patriots draft. You know, Mm -hmm. they just, they had opportunities to take players who were bigger and stronger and faster and produced more and seemed like better football players, but they took the players they thought fit them the best. And it's hard to knock them when they've had so much success doing that for so long. But they've also had Tom Brady, and that's gone now, and who knows what changes. Exactly. Now we see. Yeah. So that's going to do it for the Patriots. Let's move along to the Buffalo Bills, who, like the Patriots, didn't have a first-round pick. That was from the Stephon Diggs trade, Mm -hmm. I I believe. Uh, Do you think that that was the right move? (laughs) I, I do. Of course, uh, the caveat is you have to pay Stefan Diggs. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, uh, that adds to that equation. But no, I think they did a nice job in part because one of the guys I would have considered with their first round pick, um, they were able to snatch up with their second round pick in Iowa defensive end AJ Epinesa. You know, for uh, that kind of old school Carolina style defense they use where, um, they want more size and power up front than they do quick twitch athletes. Um, Epinesa is just fantastic. Just a phenomenal fit. I thought Gabriel Davis was a really nice pick. The UCF wide receiver kind of complements Diggs and some of the other wideouts they have on that roster. And I love Dane Jackson, the Pittsburgh um, corner in their scheme. You know, their zone heavy cover two stuff they do. I really like Jackson for that kind of scheme. He stood out at the senior bowl in those type of formations. Um, so, you know, considering where they were drafting, kind of a nice nice class, though. Far from a building block type of class. It's more of a, okay, cool. You added some nice pieces. Let's see what you got. Because they were really at an inflection point where it's time to take their game to the next level. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, that... Again, you always say things that just sum it all up very well. But yeah, they are at that inflection point. Like they're, (laughs) 
they're no longer just trying to add as much talent as possible and hope it pans out and then figure out where your strengths are and build around it. They now have strengths. That yeah. defensive line with now it's Jerry Hughes, Starla Tulele, Ed Oliver, Mario Addison. You throw AJ Epinesa in there and ensure that that continues to be a strength. You know, at some mm-hmm. point, one of those guys is going to have the opportunity to leave and the, the bills will not be handcuffed to them. They won't have to pay them just because they can't afford to lose that strength of their team because they now have AJ Epinesa. And next year, I'm sure they'll add somebody else who will do the same thing. That's just maintaining your strengths. Um, The same thing, Zach Moss at running back. You have Devin Singletary. You have TJ Yeldon. That's now three guys. You need one of them to be a good back, and you need somebody else who can spell him. Mm -hmm. I think that Zach Moss could factor in there. Uh, A receiver with John Brown, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Throw in a Gabriel Davis. Yep. And see if he turns out being good enough that you can let one of those guys walk when the time comes, you know, they have those strengths and they're building off of them. And I think that that was kind of the theme here. Isaiah Hodgins as well um, at receiver who will be an interesting player to watch. I think. Yeah. They have the speed at wide receiver. They had their slot guys. They added some size in this draft, which is what they were missing. So uh, very, very nice. And, you know, it's one of those where, like, there'll be a lot of, well, the Josh, Josh Rosen was never given a real chance in Arizona. Duh. Sam Darnold, will he get a real chance in, in New York? Josh Allen, regardless of how you feel, he's being given a real chance here at yep. Buffalo. A real shot to figure out, is this guy the guy or is he not? And it's time to move on in the 2021 or 2022 draft. And that's key. That is really key to be able to do that. That's, they're setting themselves up for, for success regardless of if they've got the quarterback in place or not. And that's all you can do. Set the foundation. Yep. And they're going to have options if, if uh, Josh Allen doesn't work out. You know, so many teams that have those young quarterbacks, they can't afford to spend another first-round draft pick on another quarterback if he turns out to be a miss. They have so much talent throughout the rest of the roster. Like you definitely don't want to have to do that, but it's right. something that they can afford to do and still be competing for a playoff spot at the same time. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before the show and we don't need to get too deep into it, but since we're talking about Josh Allen, what do you see him as? Do you think that he is a top 15 quarterback right now? Do you think that, I don't know. Just give us what's the temperature there. Um, I think he's proved that his physical traits are enough to kind of get by and win some games, even in the NFL, because mm-hmm. he's just that athletic, that big. Um, and he has that, that big of an arm, you know, but he's just so hard to get down. Um, you know, right now he's not capitalizing on enough big plays, enough big shots, which is really going to be the only way he'll maximize his talent. He'll always have those inconsistencies. That's okay, but he's got to maximize more big throws, more, um, yeah, just more big plays. And I do worry, you know, Josh Allen was kind of at the peak of the world coming into a senior season. Um, And then with losing a bunch of talent, uh, he just wasn't able to reproduce it. And I'm not sure we have yet to see that like 2016 version or whatever it was of Josh Allen. 
at Wyoming where he was improvising. He was making big plays. Um, he's maybe been able to rein it in just enough to survive at this higher level, but you're never going to get the full Josh Allen experience if he's not able to capitalize on more big plays. He's got the talent. Can he do it? That's going to be the real question, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And I think there's so many areas of his game that he could clean up. And right now, yes. He's, yes. he's a serviceable quarterback. You can put him back there and say, we can win football games. Can we win a championship? I don't think so. If he stays where he has been, can you win a playoff game? I, I just don't really know that they can yet, especially because here's the thing. They have such a good defense. And when you have that good defense, we've seen teams like the Broncos succeed because they're able to just do enough on offense to not put that defense in bad situations. Mm. Josh Allen is not that type of quarterback. That's not what he naturally does. He isn't like a ball protector, a surgical, clinical guy. He misses way too many short passes. He misses way too many long passes. He overthrows guys by 15 yes. yards, and it's just, can he hone those deep balls in? Can he start to make some of the short passes? Can he stop doing the dumb things that he does? Where I mean, it's just like comically dumb. Where like The one that stands out to me, I can't remember who they were playing, but he's running. Uh, he's already picked up the first down and he's getting tackled. And as he's on his way to the ground, he flips uh, the ball back to a receiver behind him. Yeah. And it's just dumb stuff like that, that there's no reason to do. And part of that's being young, but you do have to get past that. Um, and, and it's not just a given that he will. And I think that if he cleans up any of those things, the bills are going to be in a great place going forward. For sure. All right. Um, before we move along from this segment, uh, Let's just uh, put these teams in order. How do they finish this season? One, two, three, four. I still think the Patriots win this division. I, do I know Ryan's a skeptic, but I was saying that even prior to Cam Newton being added to the team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, let me see Belichick not, not figure it out before I'll uh, bet against him. Exactly. Uh, I'd, I'd take the Bills behind him. I'd give – I think I'd give the Dolphins the edge ahead of the Jets, but – that scares me saying that. Yeah, I like the Jets' talent, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm really skeptical they can figure it all out. So you have Le'Veon Bell. You should be able to have a half decent offense. Like I know he wasn't himself, but come on. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Time now before we jump in to talk about all of our favorite edge rushers to talk about Breckenridge Brewery, one of my favorite. Um, partners of ours and I think that we'll both be having quite a few Breck brews tonight at the DMVR watch party for the Rockies opening day what do you think you're going to start with Dre oh man what a good question it'll be a member's beer and oh yeah it might be a strawberry sky oh that'd be a good one I've been uh drinking that mountain beach quite a bit I've been a pretty big fan of that that's nice. Getting off a golf course and it's just like sour and just, it's very refreshing. It has like this cold feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's a good choice. Too. Yeah. So we'll see if that's where I go first. I wish there was like a purple beer, something Rockies themed. I can't think of which one's the most Rockies out of I mean, all of them. To me, like strawberry skies kind of the, it really is like a start of summer type of beer hmm, yeah. and having the Rockies baseball finally back is really like, 
the stardust some are truly so there you go that's the pairing for me you convinced me uh so hopefully you guys will be watching the rockies game tonight and hopefully you'll be drinking a bunch of brackenridge beers while you do it responsibly i can't just throw out like drinking a bunch of them without adding that but uh yeah breckenridge beers are our favorite if you want to try some you can come down to dmvr bar you can go to davidson's beer wine and spirits down south of denver uh you can uh use the beer locator on the breckenridge brewery website to see where you can pick up a pack of the strawberry sky or the mango mosaic or the mountain beach or whatever it is you want to try they're also good we recommend trying them all 15 can sampler is a good way to start yes Um, so check them out also manscaped another one of our favorite partners um like we were talking about earlier rk and i played moe's and vic uh yeah. Vic Lombardi and Mark Moser. this is a situation we have to use both of their names uh from altitude when we were out there it was about a hundred degrees i think just based on what it felt like to me but I was not sweating because of the crop preserver. I swear it's a lifesaver. We've, we've talked about this a lot in the last few days, like not on podcast, but just in person. We need to give the real inside scoop. So the crop preserver is also a, a chafe preserver. Yeah. Is it? I mean, yeah. I haven't chafed. See? So and so then, then like not just there, but you got chafing problems on your ankles because you want to wear low socks. Like uh-huh. there's a lot of options. I mean, this is kind of a marvel of science. Yeah. Um, so I'll spare you guys from listening again to, you know, the, the disgusting details of how, you know, sweaty Henry is down there and think that there's some real amazing mm-hmm. benefits to this kind of stuff. There really is. And RK even said that he tried throwing some in his armpits and it worked like a charm. This is right. just like the most magical product. And that's why we keep coming back to it. But obviously you get the uh, lawnmower 3.0 as well. If you want to pick up that perfect package 3.0, they'll include, include the crop preserver. There's body wash in that. There's a shirt. There's underwear. There's uh, the crop reviver, all sorts of different stuff. So if you guys want to get into Manscaped products, that is the way to do it. And once you try that crop preserver, I promise you, you will not go back. Uh, if you use the code DNVR20 at manscaped.com, you can save yourself 20% and get yourself free shipping. Okay. Uh, time to talk about these edge rushers. Um, let's start Heck with yeah. Chase Young because he was far and away the best edge rusher and by your board, the best prospect in the draft, right? Yes. Yep. The only elite grade I gave out this year was to... One, Chase Young, who I absolutely fell in love with once uh, I started watching the, the Buckeyes fronts front two years ago. Once, you know, uh, Nick Bosa went out, he really had to kind of take over, and he was just a man among boys. Um, his raw talent is out of this world. What he did last season was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, just a very, very, very good player. All right. Uh Behind him, though, things get tougher. There wasn't a clear-cut number two, at least in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. How big is this next tier of pass rushers behind Chase Young? Well, the, the most intriguing outside pass rusher, the most intriguing edge rusher of the bunch for me 
was Josh Uche, who we just talked about going to the Patriots. You know, he really sold me on his his performance against Jedrick Wills, and he really sold me on his performance against the top talents at the Senior Bowl. And I think used the right way and maximizing his uh, pass rush ability with his long arms and his first step. He was really the best of the bunch, but he didn't he didn't go till uh, further down. You know, almost sixty picks after Chase Young was selected uh, second overall. And I had Clavon Chase on as the third best pass rusher. And he's the one other guy that did end up going in the first round to the Jags. Um, And he's an interesting one because he's kind of that classic pass rusher that teams love that you see maybe getting reached on a little in the draft because he's got all the raw skills. And potentially he's got the raw tools to be very good as an outside pass rusher, but we haven't seen it consistently, right? He's still figuring it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and at this point it's maybe more his versatility that intrigues you more than his ability to get after the passer. Um, And I also like Zach Bond who ended up dropping a little bit in this draft and might even end up playing as an interior inside linebacker here um, in the pros and not really used as a pure edge rusher. He dropped all the way to the third. And for example, Yidor Grossmatos was the next S rusher taken. The big Penn State um, pass rusher went in the early second to Carolina. You know, I always harp on you got to have size or speed. You can't get away with not having both. You can get away with not having one of the two. With edge rushers more than size, it's length. And Gross Matos has that length, has some runability, has some pass rush potential. As a guy who lines up outside, though, and does his thing, will he be able to generate enough pressure on a consistent basis to get after the passer and be a 10-sack-a-game type of guy? I wonder. Um, and Daryl Taylor is kind of that quick-twitch edge rusher who at times at Tennessee would get sacks and bunches, especially in a second to last year. But he was a massive reach for me in the middle of the second as like what the fourth high drafted edge rusher. He wasn't even in my top hundred. And we've talked about what a reach that was for the Seahawks and stuff and how they probably got too cute with that pick. Mm -hmm. Um, So man, it was really an interesting class. And then the next tier was Terrell Lewis and Julian Okarawa. Um, who both kind of dropped in the draft as well. The the upside for both those dudes, though, is really impressive. Both went to the third with Okawara, the Notre Dame edge rusher, going to the Lions, and Lewis going to the Rams. Both might have ended up in really nice situations there. And Bradley and I, another guy was high on maybe the one dude that does lack the natural tools but had the production. He dropped all the way to the fifth. Um, to the Cowboys and Kenny Wilkins, another guy I liked a lot out of Michigan State. He drops to seventh. So it was an interesting group. We saw, you know, as you'd expect in kind of a weaker class, teams gambling a little more on the upside and gambling more on those premier traits, whether that was the length or that quick twitch ability of a Daryl Taylor type like that. And as always happens with the edge rushers, the the productive guys like the Anais and the Wilkins – dropped a little and we'll see if one of them can overcome that that label and be like the next Shaq Barrett or something yeah well and another one of those guys who was productive 
but might not have the tools and also played for an FCS school slip to the seventh round, yep. maybe even a reach there to be drafted, but that's, that's Broncos right. draft pick Derek Tuska. Fits that uh, label to perfection, right? He's definitely in the maybe doesn't have a premier trait either with size or speed and first step quickness, but he's got that production. He's a guy who has shown over time to have that motor and have that knack to get after the passer. And as I've been watching more soccer, you know, it's not too different. There, there are some elite finishers who, boy, their, their game just doesn't look fancy, but they're always in the right place at the right time. They kind of play possum and lull defenders to sleep, but then they're, they, they know when to strike. And guys like Tuska, guys like Anai, they have similar qualities in they'll kind of lull you to sleep, but they can get to the pass rusher. They can get to the quarterback in those key moments and get there. And it'll be really interesting for me to see if Tuska can make the, can make the team for the Broncos. Cause that's such a deep spot for them, that outside linebacker edge rusher spot in their three, four. So um, he's definitely another interesting test case in this uh, edge rusher class. Yeah. And, and I like that you brought up how there are those guys who do kind of like lull you to sleep, who don't have all those traits that just terrify you. It seems like edge rushers, as they move on to the latter stages of their careers, when they lose that athleticism, the really great ones still have the technique to set up tackles and then come back to however they set them up early in the game and beat them. You know, it, so much of it is that craftiness, that feel, that ability to outsmart the guy across from you. Is there just like a chance that maybe Derek Tuska is just that type of player who, you know, DeMarcus Ware, we saw late in his career, even though he wasn't as fast as he was, he was still just smart. And I mean, the, the highlight of him having that fake spin move against, um, Joe Stavis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that possible that you just come into the league and you just have that ability? I mean, that's an elite comparison. And even later in his career, <laughs> the beauty of where is he still had that length. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so yeah, <laughs> Tuska is starting from a bit of a disadvantage there, um, which makes it harder. No, I don't know. I, I don't know what a good comparison for Tuska is. I guess like a bit of a poor man's Shaq Barrett would be that comparison you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, like a, a situational shack, uh, and and he is disciplined against the run. He'll be, he'll he'll do his thing, you know, as a holding the edge and and what have you, and that's a valuable skill. But man, he's got an uphill battle because Atachu kind of had a career renaissance, former second rounder who who at one point did have a one very productive season in his sophomore year. You know, Malik Reed, very productive in the Mountain West. He does have that quick twitch ability. Justin Hollins has that length. It's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle to make this roster when you've got Chubb and Vaughn ahead of everyone else, too. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get into the final segment, one more question. Uh, give us your best value pick for edge rushers and the pick you liked the least among edge rushers. Hmm. Best value pick. I'm gonna um I'm gonna co-give it to Kenny Wilkins in Minnesota. Um okay. that front's kind of going through a renovation, a renewal. I like those defensive coaches. 
And I think he's been productive and has the skills to kind of get after it and exceed his draft status as a seventh rounder. Alton Robinson, the Syracuse edge rusher, he's got all the natural tools. If he can stay healthy, um, him going to the Seahawks could prove to be a, a fantastic pick. And the biggest reach... Going back to the Seahawks, I think it's Daryl Taylor, the Tennessee edge rusher. Don't don't see it. Don't think he has it. All right. That's some great insight. And uh, before we get into our one comment today, uh, we want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. Strava mm-hmm. Craft is a game-changing coffee. It is CBD-infused, and it is changing lives. Uh, people have anxiety or body aches or you know, whatever may be going on. And they know that CBD is the one thing that can really make any problem go away. Uh, it's true. Here at DMVR, we have been in love with Strava Craft Coffee. A yeah. lot of us have had a chance to try it, um, whether we got the K-Cups or the grounds or the whole beans, mm-hmm. because there are so many different ways to try it. Everybody came back and said, yep, whichever one I tried, it was great. Um, we all want to recommend that as much as we can. Uh, and we have a deal for you. If you want to try Strava Craft Coffee, well, first of all, you can head to the Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, Max Market. There, there are so many mm. different options around Denver where they are serving it. But also, you can just order it yourself from uh, Strava Craft's website using the code DMVR20 to save 20% and get free shipping. It is, or have it shipped straight to, yeah. So it's, it's a great deal. Check it out. Um, and tag us on Instagram oh, yeah. or Twitter and tag Strava too, because we want to see you guys try it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, like I said, one comment to get to today mm. and it comes in from the count. Oh yeah. Who says, why did that just, dis- oh, there it is. Uh, first and foremost, Big Hank, mm. how are you going to fly into Zootown and not let me buy you a Frosted Barley Pop? We could have hoisted a few and communed about our beloved Grizz while RK waxes poetic about that middling Colorado team he so loves. <laughs> Shame. Wait, I love Zootown for that's oh, from yeah. Missoula. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. everything about really Missoula is beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, no, the count. I'm, I, can't, I can't say the count. Sorry, count. Uh, we couldn't make it happen. It was definitely on our minds, but the timeline getting from Missoula to the flathead, we were just there for such a short period of time and we flew in super late. And so we had to like get straight up there. We're going to make it happen though. We're definitely going to make it happen. Um, Here's a new game called before and after I'll name five current players. And you tell me where you had them graded pre-draft and how you would grade their professional careers so far in juxtaposition to that grade. Mm-hmm. Darius Leonard, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander. Uh, Dre, you're still in good standing with me. Hank, I'm hurt. <sighs> That's fair. Oh, Hank. Oh, love Hank. Count. I love you too, the count. And I will no, see it, it, it again. I love you too, count, Locula. We're going to uh, mend things between us. But now back to the game. Darius Leonard, how did you have him graded before the draft, Dre? <laughs> I hated him. I hated him. <laughs> I thought he was so overrated. Um, coming out of the FCS, I saw him at the Senior Bowl, saw nothing special about him. I saw a long, skinny kid who um, didn't flow to the ball quickly enough, um, didn't 
uh, overwhelm me with his coverage instincts and lacked complete um, complete lack of physicality against the run. Um, I saw this at the Senior Bowl, and I saw this on, on his tape at the FCS level, and then he went to the Combine and tested out as a purely mediocre um, athlete, especially for his size, and I, I, I slapped like a, a top 200 grade on him. Um, then he gets drafted in the high second round, wins defensive rookie of the year, has had over, uh, you know, over 300 tackles in his uh, brief NFL career. So production-wise, I was off. Um, he's definitely more physical and moves better um, than when I thought. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd say that his NFL career has been darn good. Uh, I want to see if he can reach that next level or if those deficiencies I saw in him in college will kind of cap him out. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely exceeded expectations, and he's by far the guy I was lowest on um, on this list. I just, just didn't see it with Darius Leonard. Yeah. Interesting. Um, if, is there like one thing that you've learned from this Darius Leonard experience or do you just feel like it's a weird thing? He just happened to pan out. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I got to call it like I see it. I mean, if you, if you don't show me any traits in three, you know, on tape in college at a lower level in the senior bowl, when I see you live and at the combine, yeah, I can't make this stuff up. I, I can't go off of goodwill because I, I like your smile and I say, okay, That's maybe you can problem. over. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I should have given him a, a harder look on tape. Um, I think I should have given him a harder look at the senior bowl. Um, but man, the time to go back and give someone a harder look would have been had he exceeded my expectations at the combine. Mm-hmm. He didn't get it. So yeah, I, tough for me to learn anything out of that. And huh. um, yeah, I, I'd like to watch him more at the Colts too and figure out like, is that production deceiving? Is he maybe just like stacking up tackles five yard plus down this line of scrimmage, but he doesn't really have an impact on third down, which is really what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep monitoring him, but he's a very interesting test case. Yeah. Okay, uh, Roquan Smith. Liked Roquan. I mean, boy, in, in coverage, uh, I've rarely seen guys with, with better skill. Um, but his instincts again, the, against the run really concerned me. Um, because if, had, if you watch the Georgia Tech game, Roquan was a beast against the run. But that's because he's a read and react. He's basically playing spy and just reacting to these RPOs and, you know, option looks. Against other teams in the SEC, really struggled against the run sometimes. Uh, not too dissimilar to Patrick Queen at LSU last year. So I had a, a first slash sec, end of the first, early second grade on him, and I knew he'd go much higher than that um, because of his cover skills. And I think he was very good as a rookie under Fanjo. I'll want to see how he can develop his game under a different coordinator um, the next couple of years, because I think he has shown that maybe I wasn't too far off on my scouting report and maybe he was a bit of a reach in the top 10. Okay. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds. <sighs> Love the kid. Love the kid. I, I still don't know how Roquan Smith went ahead of him. Tremaine Edmonds got drafted as a 19 year old coming out of Virginia. Oh, that's so crazy. Um, with insane size, insane testing at the combine. You watch the tape, yeah, he's raw, but man, that that 
combination of physicality, downhill mobility, sideline to sideline mobility, range and coverage was just off the charts. Um, and I think he, he, while he's still raw because he's still just like 21, he is starting to prove me right. And I mean, if, if there's a reason I'm excited about that Bills defense is because he's at the center of it and I, he can take the sky's the limit with how far he can go. And I think the sky's the limit with how far he can take that defense. I'm in love with Tremaine Edmonds. I, I think he's potentially one of the five best defenders in the NFL in the next couple of years. So what would be the difference between a guy like Tremaine Edmonds and a Isaiah Simmons? Hmm. Not utilized in coverage as much. Um, so, so that versatility isn't there. And, um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds is a hell of an athlete, but he, he doesn't run a 4-3. Mm-hmm. He doesn't run faster than all but, like, two cornerbacks in this past draft class. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah Simmons is just, like, he's a one-percenter for the one-percenters as far as athleticism at that size and versatility at that. Yeah, he's, he's just another level. But then again, Tremaine Edmonds wasn't on Clemson, and he was 19 when he got drafted. So, mm-hmm. I mean... If Tremaine Edmonds was at Clemson and he played other two years in college, not too inconceivable that maybe he's not used the way Simmons was used, but that he's at that super rare level of linebacker play. Okay. Uh, Moving on from the linebackers now, we have two cornerbacks. Let's start with Denzel Ward. Denzel, um, athleticism was obvious. Boy, the secondary guys on Ohio State can be a little hard to evaluate sometimes because that that front is so dominant. Um, that they do play a lot of one-on-one coverage, but they're not always tested a ton. So you got really got to scope out the all twenty-two, which isn't always the easiest to find. And I wasn't always super high on Ward. I um I forget what game turned me off a bit, but I felt he was one of these corners these uh, man corners who didn't have the size. So that's always the concern going into the NFL, because if you're going to max, if you're going to warrant a top 10 pick, you better be able to handle one-on-one coverage against the best of the best. That's not just Tyreek Hill. That's Deandre Hopkins. That's like everyone, you know, the guys with size too. Um, And I worried about Ward and his ability to really defend those contested balls. And I thought he maybe took a few too many risks. Um, so he was again with Roquan Smith in that late first, early second range. And those guys in that range on my board almost always have like unlimited upside, but some real concerns. Like Visca was the top guy in that tier. Yeah. Uh, so that, oh yeah. Since then though, what's changed? I think he's maybe exceeded my expectations a little. There have been some injuries have, which have been concerning. Um, he's shown that because of that athleticism, and that's not just the speed, it's the leaping ability, and maybe to have more polished instincts and ball skills than I gave him credit. He, um, he can handle himself, but he's far from elite yet. He's shown nice flashes, but we got to see it um, 100%. He reminds me a little of the... The career trajectory, Vernon Hargraves, another top 10 cornerback taken out of Florida. Um, and what he's done for the Bucks. you know, early in his career, people were like, oh, yeah, he's the real deal. Now it's a little more like, mm, okay, he's fine, but probably wasn't worth a top 10 pick. So Denzel Ward was in that 2018 draft. That's the one where the Broncos snagged Bradley Chubb. Yep. 
afterward, like Elway famously said that in none of their mock drafts did Bradley Chubb fall all the way to five. Part of the reason that happened, well, the big reason is because the Browns took Denzel Ward over him. You know, the draft went yeah. Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, and then Denzel Ward leaving Bradley Chubb for the Broncos. In hindsight, was that the right move for the Browns? Mm. I mean, they did have Miles Garrett. Yeah, it was the wrong move, no matter what. Yep. Whether your pick was Chubb, you know, I don't think passing on Chubb was necessarily the wrong move. Not that I'm anti-Chubb, but that draft was loaded. You know, Leighton Vander Esch, Derwin James. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Quentin dude, Nelson. Like a lot of studs were drafted after, um, after the Browns passed on all of them for Denzel Ward. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the wrong pick. The next guy we're going to talk about, I yep. would have also selected. Jair Alexander has been a stud mm-hmm. for the Packers. He was my top-ranked. Um, um, cornerback coming into that year, and I never wavered. Um, study Mike Williams in my final prep for the draft prior, the Clemson wide receiver who famously the Chargers drafted in the top 10. I watched him against Louisville, and I was like, wait, who is this cornerback? Because he is insane. And what I talked about, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, not the biggest corner either, but the way he dominated Mike Williams, a, a six-foot-plus massive wide receiver on contested balls, physically at the line of scrimmage and all that kind of stuff sold me immediately that this guy is a true number one corner. Um, and just like you watch this tape for two years, it's like no mistakes, doesn't give up anything. So I love Jair Alexander. He's maybe, you know, he hasn't always been perfect. He's a young player, but what he's done for that Packers defense has been really impressive. I, I think he's, he's already showing the, the makings of a star and kind of proving me right. Yeah. Well, and the other thing before we get out of here the Packers actually traded up from number 28 or no 27 to number 18 for him. And uh, I don't know. I think hitting on a pick is obviously a very good look for a front Mm -hmm. office trading up for a guy in the middle of the first round who looks like he could be on like, like a hall of fame type of trajectory is kind of like that borderline for him right now. Um, that is a very good look, at least for the Packers sure front is. office making that decision. Yeah. Um, I think that does it for today. If you guys have any uh, questions, any comments, you can throw them in the comment section of the post for today's show at ddnvr.com. We will get to those on next week's draft podcast, where we'll talk about the AFC North, the last division for us to go through. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, hopefully, Dre and I will see you guys tonight at the uh, Rockies watch party at the DMVR. Yep. Sit Jay on the moon.